Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, my money-saving comrades. My name's Graham Clark, and I'm very excited to be with you again this week on the Money Stepper Saving Challenge podcast. Every fortnight, we invite two members of the Money Stepper financial community to discuss their goals, their progress, both their success and failures, and any tips they might have picked up along their journey. This is a podcast made by the Money Stepper Savings Community for the Money Stepper Savings Community to help us all with our own savings challenge so that we can all work together to reach our financial goals and climb up those steps to financial freedom. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Money Stepper Savings Challenge podcast. I hope you all had a great break over Christmas and that you're very well fed and watered. Uh, I know that I certainly am. Getting back into the gym this morning after a week of of overindulgence was pretty tough, I assure you. Um, today we have a slightly unusual podcast, but I hope it'll be a very useful way to make you aware of any possible holes in your finances before we start the Money Stepper Savings Challenge on January the 1st. That way you can maybe identify with a couple of these things and address them before the start of the year. Now there's plenty of information here in this episode and there's a lot of related articles and links to other information. So if you want the show notes, just head on over to moneystepper.com forward slash survey where you'll find all the information and links you need. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, we're going to talk about the results of the money management survey, which I've recently carried out. Now, I've been running Money Stepper for over 18 months now, and I've been thoroughly enthralled by the world of personal finance for a lot longer than that. One of the main reasons that Money Stepper exists is to try and help people address their financial leaks in order to make the journey up those steps to financial freedom as smooth as possible. Before starting Money Stepper, I spent many years at a big four accountancy practice in the UK. Now, accountants, as well as being infamous for being uh, apparently among the dullest people in the world, are also considered to be amongst the people who are best at managing money. It's what they do in their day-to-day life. Therefore, I thought it would be extremely interesting to survey 10 of my former colleagues all of whom are chartered accountants, to determine how good they are with money. Now, the idea is if I can find leaks or common mistakes in this group of people, I imagine they'll be even more common across the UK population as a whole. Now, the survey I carried out included 10 questions, all of which we're about to analyse today in great detail. Note that all of the questions are worded negatively as a mistake. Okay, Do you do this wrong? And hence, 
positive result in the survey, a good outcome would be that a low number of people in the survey made the mistake. So if the survey result is 0 out of 10, this means no one makes that mistake. And if it's 10 out of 10, everyone makes that mistake. OK, let's get started. So the first question we posed to the group of chartered accountants was, do you use a credit card but fail to pay it off in full every month? Now, this first question is one that I hoped people who were educated with money would not fall foul of. As any reader of Money Stepper will be fully aware, incurring and paying interest on credit cards is not something we would recommend anybody does. It well and truly falls into the bad debt category, and it will be a significant obstacle for anyone trying to improve their net wealth in the long term. And what does the survey say? Well, out of the 10 people surveyed, only one of them actually used a credit card but failed to pay it off each month. So I'm pleased to say that these chartered accountants understand the importance of not incurring credit card interest. However, having done a bit more research, I'm a little bit worried that the general public may not understand this to the same extent. That's demonstrated by these key statistics I recently found. Firstly, at the end of 2013, 4% of cardholders only made the minimum payments for the previous 12 consecutive months. And over 2% made only minimum payments for the last 24 months. Now, that doesn't include 0% interest accounts, but it's rather people who are incurring interest but still only paying the minimum. Now, 4%, it's quite a lot. It's only I know it's only 1 in 25, but paying the minimum amount is such a huge financial mistake and it'll lead to huge future financial burdens. The average interest rate on credit cards bears interest at 17.85% as of October 2014. That's pretty high. And in the UK, only 40% of consumers pay off outstanding balances in full every month or pay 0% interest on their credit cards. Now, a couple of these statistics really stand out to me. Most significant is the fact that 4% of cardholders have only made minimum payments for the last 12 consecutive months. That's quite concerning. I would suggest that it's partly due to a lack of understanding of the impact of making minimum payments only. The money charity highlight in their December 2014 statistics updates that it would take the average household 25 years and three months to repay their credit card debt if they only make minimum payments. Now, that is a lot of wasted interest. So what lesson can we learn from this? Well, avoid paying interest on credit cards. Wherever possible, pay down the full amount every month. And if it's not possible, if you have an outstanding balance, then use 0% balance transfer credit cards whilst paying down your outstanding credit card debt. In the show notes, we will link to a related article on how you can manage 0% interest credit cards. So head on over, as I say, to moneystepper.com forward slash survey for that link. Okay, question two. We asked the 10 people in the survey whether they use a credit card but don't receive cashback and rewards for doing so. Now, cashback and reward credit cards have been popular for many years. And so I expect that the majority of people, again, especially chartered accountants, people who are quite aware of of finance, to be benefiting from cashback and rewards when they use their credit cards. So what did the survey tell us? Well, well, two out of the 10 people surveyed didn't receive cashback or rewards when they used their credit card. Now, this isn't a huge number of people in the survey and... 
it's not a huge financial mistake, but it is a bit of a waste if you are using debit or credit cards to pay for things, not to be earning rewards and cash back. According to 2013 data, the average annual spend in the UK on debit and credit cards is around £10,000 a year. With 5% cash back available on certain credit cards for the introductionary period, it's fair to assume that the average credit card holder could be earning the equivalent of around 1.25% cash back on all their expenditure. So if we place this against the annual £10,000 a year, it could be costing the average person a minimum of £125 a year by not taking advantage of these cards. Granted, £125 a year isn't a life-changing amount, and I do agree with the argument that no one ever became wealthy through credit card points. However, it is still effectively free money. If you're going to pay off your credit card in full every month and never incur interest, you'll be losing out by not taking advantage of these deals. Lesson to be learnt, if you are using a debit or credit card to make payments, then you should register for a cashback or rewards credit card to ensure that you're getting something back when you're using your cards. Moving on, uh, question three is another question related to cashback and rewards, but this time around spending money online. So the question is, do you spend money online but don't earn cashback through money back websites such as Quidco? This is another source of free money when shopping. As well as the cashback and rewards available through using specific credit cards, consumers can also earn cashback on the majority of their online expenditure by using cashback websites. These effectively pay a commission for referral, but it pays it back to you as the end consumer. Out of the 10 people surveyed, four of them didn't take advantage of such websites. Now, according to City AM, the newspaper, people in the UK now spend an average of £2,000 a year on online goods. For all of this spending, and actually for spending that people don't typically make online but could, consumers could be obtaining cashback through these sites. As a personal example, in the last two years and nine months since I signed up for Quidco, I've personally earned £1,490 in cashback through Quidco, where I make all of my purchases online through that site. So purchases for hotel bookings, uh, car rental, my car insurance, utility contracts, mobile phone contracts, pretty much everything. So the lesson to be learned there, if you're buying products and services online anyway, then you may as well visit these cashback websites before you make your purchase and you'll earn cashback on all of your purchases. Question four. Moving on to pensions. The question is, are you unaware of where your pension is invested and why it is invested there? Now, I think most of us understand the importance of our personal pensions. We all want to have a comfortable retirement financially, and we know that the state pension won't provide us what most of us want in our retirement. For instance, the state pension isn't going to allow us to go on cruises and buy our grandkids the presents they want, all those kinds of things. Therefore, given the importance of our long-term financial success, I would hope that everyone understands where, how and why their pensions are invested where they are. However, the survey doesn't suggest that this is the case. Four out of ten of the people weren't aware where their pension was invested and why it was invested there. This is one of the most concerning points to take away from this survey. Other than financial advisors and maybe pension specialists, 
I would rank chartered accountants up there with the people who are best placed to have a thorough understanding of what their pension means and how it's invested and why it's invested the way it is. However, out of 10 of these chartered accountants, four of them weren't aware why their pension was invested where it was. Now, I think that means the figure for the general population is much, much higher. Pensions and investments are a complicated subject, granted. However, with so much of your financial future dependent on the long-term performance of your retirement accounts, understanding the ins and outs of these retirement accounts is absolutely vital. My largest concern is that people don't understand the impact of fees in their retirement account. Most people I talk to don't, don't register this as being an issue. Now, the vast number of people make decisions when it comes to their pension. They're offered, do they want a low, medium or high risk option? And that's where their involvement ends. However, as we've noted in our article on passive versus active investing, investment returns, and especially in retirement accounts, are being slashed due to the high fees that are being charged by active fund managers. And often this is in exchange for below average long-term performance. Not a, not a great trade-off, I'm sure you'll agree. Another concern was one of the specific responses I received. And to quote... I have chosen an investment profile, but I cannot honestly say I fully understand it. I've also spoken to an independent financial advisor, but they weren't really able to add much more clarity other than this may be a less risky investment than that because of certain market conditions. Now, I think this quote highlights how complex pensions and investments can be. It also highlights that this respondent probably needs to find a new independent financial advisor who understands and can at least better explain their investment options and their retirement accounts. So given the importance of this, what lesson can we take away? Well, I think everyone needs to take the time out to understand everything about their pension and how it's invested. It'll have an immeasurable impact on your retirement, which with average life expectancies increasing could last for several decades. So it's absolutely integral that you nail this. In the show notes, we have an interesting relating article, which was on Money Stepper in the past, on why passive investing may be better than active investing for most people and how fees charged by fund managers play a large role in this. So I'd recommend you check that out. Okay, the next question in the survey is also related to pensions, this time on employer matching. So the question was worded, Do you contribute less than the maximum employer matching to your pension accounts? So in the previous question, we we saw that many people didn't actually understand why, how or where their pensions invested. But I hope that at least people are making the most of employer matching schemes when it comes to their pensions. After all, this this is pretty much free money again. Luckily they are. In our survey, one out of 10 didn't make the maximum contribution, which was equally matched by their employer. So it seems that our respondents do understand the importance of the employer matching schemes. Effectively, an employer match on your pension contribution equates to a pay rise. It's it's free money and not contributing to this is a huge financial mistake. Importantly, not only do you miss out on the free money up front when it's matched by your employer, you'll also be missing out on the effect of all the future compound returns on this amount. The impact of the employer match, however, is even more powerful than you may realise than that I ever realised. We have demonstrated this in our article on whether you should prioritise paying down debt or whether you should prioritise contributing to a match pension scheme. 
Now, traditional advice is usually to pay down your debt first. But when we ran the numbers, we found out that you would actually need an extraordinarily high interest rate to make paying down debt a better financial decision than maximising your employer-matched pension contribution. Again, in the show notes in the related article, there's also a free spreadsheet that you can download and run your own numbers to work out whether you should be focusing on paying down your debt or contributing more to retirement. Again, I'd recommend that you check that out. Lesson to be learned in almost all situations, making contributions to your pension, which are matched by your employer, will be a better decision than paying down debt. Right, five down, five to go. Question six. We asked our 10 chartered accountants if they have cash savings, either in an ISA or a savings account, but they have no specific intended use for the cash. Now, this is a bugbear of mine. In in my experience with money stuff, this is one of the most common mistakes I've noticed. In the long run, the returns, the interest rates from cash savings, struggle to exceed inflation. In the current environment, since the 2008 economic crisis, They've actually been below inflation. This means that at best, when you have your money and your cash savings, it's pretty much staying at the same value. It has the same purchase power. And in certain situations, like the one we're in currently, it's probably losing value. Now, the clear advantage for having cash savings is that it's stable and you can guarantee your returns. Therefore, savings accounts are a great store for cash that has a short-term mission. Maybe you're planning to buy a house in the next couple of years and your short-term cash savings are for a deposit on this house. However, I have noticed that people often use savings accounts to store cash that has no intended purpose. How many of our 10 people were guilty of this? Seven. Wow, so our chartered accountants are no different to these other people making this mistake. Now, most chartered accountants, myself included in the past, spend their days looking at companies' financial accounts. They understand that capital invested in businesses provides the returns for the shareholders of that business, whereas cash sitting on the balance sheet, beyond what's required for short-term ventures or as an emergency fund, is not the best use of the resource. However, people fail to equate that to their personal lives. The lesson we need to learn here is that cash savings should either be for something very specific in the next three to five years or a predefined amount for emergencies, or it should be appropriately invested in assets which provide higher long-term returns, such as equities or real estate property investment. Okay, question seven. Uh, Do you fail to maintain a monthly written budget? Ah, budgeting most exciting of the topics. Now, for anyone who follows Buddy Stepper, you'll know the written budget, whilst maybe not the most exciting of things, is in fact one of the most effective weapons in improving your long-term wealth. As I've said many times in the introduction to these podcasts and in the Money Stepper Savings Challenge explanations, measurability is fundamental in long-term success and it's no different when it comes to personal finances. How many people in our survey failed to maintain a monthly written budget? Five. Half of the people surveyed. Now, this is the most surprising of all the responses, in my opinion. Like Anton Deck and like strawberries and cream and like Christmas and overeating, accountants and budgets go hand in hand. 
All of the people surveyed deal with budgets and with forecasts in their daily working lives. They see firsthand the importance of these in the success of the businesses which they work with. However, half of the chartered accountants surveyed don't actually keep a personal written budget for themselves. Now, without understanding where your money's going, it's impossible to improve and to optimise your financial position in order to improve your long-term wealth. Fortunately, now is a perfect time to resolve this. The Money Stepper 2015 Savings Challenge is exactly that. It offers a free resource to help you budget, to help define your personal balance sheet, which is your net wealth, and your personal profit and loss statement, which is all your income and expenses each month. And it helps you measure them through a free spreadsheet, which is provided with the challenge. And then also it keeps you accountable in the group. So if you are one of the people that are struggling to maintain a monthly written budget in life, We've made it easy for you. Just head on over to the Money Stepper Savings Challenge and you'll find you've got everything you need right there. Okay, question eight. And we're moving on to insurance now. The question is, have you taken out insurance or warranties on products and services that you could afford to replace? This is another common mistake that I've noticed and one that is generally caused by the influence of the insurance industry itself. There's a lot of pressure these days with taking out insurance products, so much so that the end consumer often feels that they're being financially irresponsible if they don't take out insurance or warranties on these products. However, it can often be very expensive to take out insurance when you can actually afford to replace the product itself, and so you're giving up money and premiums every month um, for very little reward. How many people are making this mistake? Two. Two out of the ten people surveyed are. There's still two people who are making these mistakes and it's important to remember with all insurance that your thought process and your approach to insurance should always be the same. To ask yourself two questions. Firstly, do you legally require the insurance? Such as car insurance, for instance, you have to have some level of car insurance by law. Question two, can you afford the consequences of not taking out the insurance? So, so for certain matters, you might not be able to afford it. So say you're renting out a property, um, you may want to have some kind of landlord's insurance because you can't afford to pay the damages if your tenant breaks their leg or, or worse in your property. If they fall down the stairs, you could be on the end of a huge legal suit which could render you bankrupt, could take away all your assets. So instead, you may want to think about taking out some kind of insurance for that. Let's look at some other examples. I'm going to buy a new TV. This is the classic. These are the ones you get pressurised at the tills when you buy your new TV. I'm never going to take out insurance on a TV because, firstly, I'm not legally obliged to do so. And secondly, I can always afford to replace the TV if it breaks. Look, if you can't afford to replace that TV if it breaks, well, you shouldn't be buying that TV in the first place. Then look at car insurance. Well, you are legally obliged to take it out, but I personally take the lowest level I can because I can afford to self-insure on that instance. Life insurance, a bit more of a complex one. You need to look at how comfortably your dependents could live on their inheritance if you died. If you have sufficient assets between you, then your dependents may not need any extra funds and therefore life insurance would be unnecessarily insuring yourself. Just one thing to always keep in mind is that insurance is always negative expected value. It always returns less in the long term than you'll pay in premiums. And that's because the insurance company set the premiums so that that's always the case. 
you only need to look at the accounts of an insurance company and understand that they pay thousands of staff very healthy salaries. They pay their executives millions in bonuses every year. They cover huge expenses for inner city offices and for away trips, their Christmas parties, for absolutely everything. But these companies still manage to create a significant profit for their shareholders, even after all of these expenses. Well, where does that money come from? Well, it comes from the difference between the premiums you're paying and the money they're paying back out to you in insurance claims. Lesson, for every time of insurance, determine the cost you are paying in premiums and compare it to the cost of what you're insuring. If you can afford to self-insure, then this will probably be better for you in the long term. Okay, penultimate question, question nine. Have you not got a written will? (laughs) Bit of a strange negative there, but uh, it's asking people if they haven't made a will. Um, If you die without making a will, there are certain rules, called the rights of succession, which will dictate how your money, property and possessions will be allocated after you die. However, this may not be the way that you would have wished for your money and possessions to be distributed. This is usually most important for couples who are not married, who wish for their partner to benefit from their estate, For couples with children who may want to name legal guardians if both parents were to pass at the same time. And for those who are leaving more than £325,000 in their estate, where writing a will may help reduce or avoid any inheritance tax. Now this was the question with the most number of uh, mistakes or failures. Out of the 10 people surveyed, 9 didn't have a written will. It is worth noting that out of nine of these people, three are married without children, and hence they are happy that the standard legal rules would distribute their estate in accordance with what their written will would state if they were to write one. However, this leaves the majority without a written will, and hence their assets may be distributed after their death in a manner which they would not necessarily have chosen themselves. Additionally, it's worth adding that everyone should have some form of instructions written upon their death which outlines what and how things should be done. Uh, it might say where their accounts are or where certain things are and who, who may want to be dealing with these certain items. It doesn't necessarily have to be a will, but just something to help your close ones. It will obviously be a horrendous time for your loved ones and so anything to make the process a little smoother will probably be greatly appreciated. And that way you get to choose some awesome songs for your funeral. Okay, tenth and final question. Have you failed to maximise your ISA contributions? Now tax can be a significant obstacle in creating long-term wealth. Therefore, for any savings or investments held outside of a retirement account, we suggest as much as possible is held within ISA accounts, especially for longer-term investments. This shields the money from both income and capital gains tax. How many people are surveyed failed to maximise their ISA contributions? Seven out of ten. Now, in the last budget, the ISA limit went up significantly to £15,000 a year. 2014 and will increase again in April 2015. Whilst people in the survey tend to earn a salary above the average, most are former colleagues of mine, hence the same age group, say 25 to 35 years old. And it's not unusual, therefore, that many have not maximised their ISA contributions for the year because they're buying houses, having children, incurring other such short-term expenses. 
However, it's essential that we address the importance of tax wrappers. To explain why, let's have a look at a quick example. Imagine that you invested £10,000 per year for 40 years at an annual return of 8% a year. Now, if all those funds were in a tax-wrapped account, such as NISA, and you never paid tax, your £10,000 investment each year for 40 years, so £400,000 totally invested, would be worth £2.8 million at the end of that 40 years. Say you're in the higher tax bracket and you didn't protect these investments from tax, then your final worth for the same £400,000 invested would only be £1.2 million. You'd lose a whopping £1.6 million to the taxman over the course of that 40 years. And no one wants to give the taxman £1.6 million unnecessarily. So our final lesson is that when saving and investing, you should always think about the long-term aspect of taxation and you should shield any gains where possible from unnecessary taxation. Good stuff. Well, I hope you took something away from that survey. For me personally, I've taken two key points away from it. Firstly, no one's perfect. Secondly, even for people whose job it is to manage money, and in fact they go into businesses to give opinions on others who do so, they still make common mistakes in managing their own finances. Now you may be wondering why I chose these 10 questions for this survey. And the answer is that around, say, five years ago, when I first qualified as a chartered accountant myself, but before I started to take a keen interest in my own personal finances, I was actually guilty of making all 10 of these mistakes myself. It doesn't matter if you're good with money for your job, if you work in finance, if you work in accounting, whatever you work as, you can still make the same mistakes. You need to take time to research and to take an interest in personal finance and in the matters that affect your wealth in the long term. Now, each question represents an obstacle to creating long-term financial wealth. So if you can work down that list of 10 and many other questions like it, and you can knock some of them down, then the road to financial freedom becomes a lot smoother. So let me know, do you make any of these financial mistakes yourself? Are there any common mistakes you've noticed that people make? If so, head on over to moneystepper.com forward slash survey and let me know in the comments on that page. So that brings us to the end of the money survey. It's not the only exciting thing we've got going on today. With this release of this podcast, the Money Stepper Savings Challenge podcast is now live on iTunes ready for the new year. If you haven't already, get yourself over to moneystepper.com forward slash intro, which is the first episode where you can submit your 2015 annual goals. Now, given we've just released this podcast on iTunes, we'd also be hugely grateful if you could subscribe to the podcast so that you'll receive each episode automatically into your inbox each week. And also, if you could leave us a review. First of all, because I want to hear your comments and your feedback and how I can improve the show or what you like about the show. And secondly, because the more reviews I can get in the next few months, the more likely is I'll be featured in the new and noteworthy section of iTunes and we can get more people involved in this money savings challenge and we can build the community together. Okay, so whatever you've got planned for New Year's Eve, I hope you have a great night and I also wish you all the best for 2015. When the new year arrives, it brings new ideas and new hopes for us to make our lives better than the year just passed. So I hope that 2015 brings you much happiness and success in all of your endeavours. 
Happy New Year and as always, keep on climbing. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.